welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your pet goldfish, your cat with three legs. Your neighbor's um, hamster. Yeah, your neighbor's hamster might have some really good questions, or your bus driver, whoever has questions, we will try and answer them. I'm Courtney. I'm one of the branch librarians. I work at Kenwood and Gaines. I'm joined by my two lovely friends and other fellow librarians, Emily from Tyrone and and Jill from Wyoming. So question of the day for us is, what you listening to, Emily? Um, uh, Lots of things. I constantly have like an audiobook on deck. Uh, I think I'm currently in the middle of Like Other Girls by Britta London, which is a teen book. Um, it's fantastic though. Uh, I just recently finished Scary Stories for Young Foxes, which is a, a younger kids book that is very scary, <laughs> but awesome. So not for Jill. Not for Jill. Yep. Um, Jill does not like scary and this one definitely was scary. And then I'm about to start Night Books by Jay White because I saw that Netflix has a, oh. um, I think it's based on this book. It's called Night Books Interesting. Uh, that I want to watch. So I want to read the book first. Very interesting. Jill, what are you listening to? Okay. Uh, I'm constantly listening to podcasts. I started two new podcasts this week. Oh, my goodness. I How know. do you keep up? Um, I don't I don't know. You just constantly listen to podcasts. I've worked with Jill before at the same branch, and one time she had her headphones in and I didn't realize it. <laughs> and I don't know if she was listening to an audiobook or a podcast, but I was, like, trying to get her attention. I was like, Jill, Jill. And then finally I realized why she was ignoring me. I, I I don't try to ignore people, but I do like to listen to uh, podcasts. Um, so I li- I'm listening to a new one about national parks. Um, it's very good, and I'm enjoying it so far. And then uh, a new one called Parks and Recollection Hi. about par- Parks and Rec. Uh, but also I just powered through the entire Lunar Chronicles, which is four thick books. Yes, it is. Yes. In, in, in a week ago, yes, we just week. did a What Are You Reading? Um, yes. It wasn't a podcast. It was like well, a, a Facebook Live yeah. event. This was, we, are, we are recording this podcast in the, in the past to when you are listening to Yes, from to when you are now. listening to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jill had just started this series a week ago today, and now she has finished it. Did you get any sleep in the last week? Um, you know, I actually did stay up late a few nights because I was just so into the series. But it is a, a teen series, but yeah, younger teen series. Um, and it's just great. I highly recommend it. It's not very nuanced. Like uh, if you're an adult and you're reading it, you're going to say, I know how this is going to end and you're right. But I still loved it. <laughs> Well, yeah, well-written. Yeah, um, it is. Jill, also, before we move on, what I need from you is to send me your podcast that you listen to because I become, like, paralyzed by decision when I'm trying to find a new podcast. Oh, there's so many good there's ones. There's so, so many good ones. Thank you. There's so yes. many good ones. You if know you where I get... to ours. Thank you very yes. much. Yes, thank, thank you. you. I get good uh, podcast recommendations from Graham and IT. Oh, I'll have to shoot him a little email. Yeah, yeah. Shout out. So how about you, uh, Courtney? What are you listening to? Um, well, I am always listening to Dear Hank and John's podcast, uh, which we've mentioned many times on the podcast, and they're my faves. Um, but I'm also usually listening to an audiobook, and I'm listening to Sky Hunter by Marie Lu. It's her like newest duology, and it's kind of a dystopian Um there's like the Federation and they're taking over um, all of the lands and they've conquered all of them but one. 
and they like create these zombie things, except they call them ghosts, which I find really confusing because they're not ghosts. I guess they're ghosts of like the people that they once were, but they're more like they're controlled like zombies. Yeah, they're still like physically formed, hmm. um, but they're like zombie things that they can control. And so it's, it's very interesting. I just hit a major like plot twist. So it's it's getting good, but yeah, that sounds amazing. It's pretty good. Marie Lou is really good with her like science fiction. I think she does a really good job of like sticking to the plot and not like for teens who don't want a lot of romance in their science fiction. I think Marie Lou is a really good one. At least the books that I've read by her are pretty good. There is some hint of attraction, but but it's, it's not like all about. It's like that. a page. Yeah. Oh, I think this boy's cute. <laughs> and move on. <laughs> That's basically it. But all right, Jill. Are you ready for some questions here? I am ready. Oh, Let's go. We have some good ones today. Question number one. How do they move houses from place to place? How do they move them out of the ground? This question is from Theodore, age six, from Comstock Park. So I have the pleasure of answering this question, which is great because what? Like, the idea that we're even able to do this as humans blows my mind. But apparently we've been doing it for hundreds of years, so I need to to get over that. Um, apparently an average size house weighs hundreds of thousands of pounds That's, also. That um, makes sense. They're, they're it, very large. It does. They're very <laughs> large. And we just, with physics, will lift them, lift them up. on up. I've witnessed them, like, lifting one of those pods up at the there's a thrift store next to the Gaines branch it's called the red barn and uh they had storage pods and i just was transfixed by how they were going to lift these pods full of stuff off the go it was very i was very nervous for them too but tell us how houses well and that's the thing and i'll get into it a little bit more but houses are also filled with all of their stuff when they move them Which blows my mind. Um, so actually, recently I saw one in Sparta, Michigan, that was that was being moved. So I actually like just got some insider, Ooh. yeah, insight on on how they do this. Um, <clears throat> there's one company; it's not a local company, but I found that this one company, Wolf Moving Company, moves between 200 to 300 houses a year. So like it happens all the time. A lot of like times, every weekday, about yeah, pretty much. And and they do take some time. It takes you know some some weeks and months to uh, actually move, like get the whole process done and actually move it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like a fairly normal occurrence. A lot of the time, it's like historical houses, or um, if there's been flooding and they need to move like the house back or yeah. things like that. Well, because didn't they move Rosa Parks' house? I think, oh, did I they? think they did that. I think there was some historical house, and I really want to say it was hers, um, that they moved back into Detroit, I think. I could totally be You're, wrong. Jill is fact-checking me as we speak. So, so where is that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> In Italy. What? In Italy? No so way. That's another thing. They they do often put historical houses on ships. That was another part that I read. They'll like ship them places, which is one of the best ways to move things economically. Why but, would they um, ship yeah. an American historical house? Well, it says Italy. they took it apart to oh. move it. Oh, that seems even worse. That's sad. Yeah. Anyways. Well, that's well, different. Thanks, Jill. Yeah. <laughs> that is different than what normally happens. Normally the houses will stay intact. Yeah. Um. But anyhow, so let's talk about, like, what actually happens. 
The first step of moving a house is that you need to make sure that all of the utilities are shut off and disconnected, like the plumbing, electricity, anything that goes from the house to the outside source, because it would be terrible if you lifted a house up and all of those things were connected. Kind of like the movie Up, when the balloons take the house up and it's just like water shooting everywhere and like electrical wires and and that's how, they, that's how they do it, right? They just attach yeah, they a just, bunch of balloons to that's it, right. and that's what moves it from place Wouldn't to place. Wouldn't that be cute, though, if that's how that worked? That's um, my favorite Pixar movie. It's a great movie. It's very sad. I, I feel sad just thinking about it, so I'm going to move on. Yeah. Um, often, when people are moving houses, they'll get a general contractor that'll come in, and they'll like make sure that's all done, that all of the plumbing has been disconnected, and everything's like all set for this big move. They will also um, prep the foundation at the new place where the house is going to be. So the general contractor is a a pretty big deal in this situation. Um, And then house movers need space around the house, of course, to move the house. So they'll have like the landscaping taken out or, you know, like power lines moved and, and all that stuff to make sure that the house will not run into anything when it's being moved. And then... And this is the scariest part to me as somebody who like lives in a house and maintains a house is that they will cut big holes in the foundation and they will ram these big steel rods in there um, to give them something to grab onto for the uh, hydraulic lifts. Um, Yeah. And then and then from there, it's pretty much that they use the hydraulic lift and they lift it up um, and they slowly get it into place. And then the house moves at a very slow, slow rate um on its on the dolly that's being used Mm -hmm. uh and often like the local police station will have to come and kind of make sure that everything's going okay the power companies will have to take lines down again branches will have to be removed so it isn't hitting branches um there's a there's a lot to it for sure um and then yeah like i said before for the inside of the house that can pretty much stay as it is if you have valuable items like up on a shelf you might want to take those off but it moves so steady and slowly that really everything like those, you know, clothes and toys on your floor, those can stay there. Everything can kind of stay how it is. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty wild thing. Um, but yeah, it happens frequently. So if if you wanted, it is very costly. But Courtney, if you wanted, you could move your house closer not. to my house. You I, could well, put it in the backyard. We're maybe? pretty close. I'm pretty equidistant from Jill and Emily. So <laughs> I think I'm going to... St- Stay where my house okay, is. Fair. You fair can enough. move your house closer to mine. Oh, okay. I don't know if you could keep the chickens. I though. don't. I do yeah. live within the city of Kentwood. I don't know if don't they know let chickens in the city. Hmm. <laughs> Jill's we'll just laughing. That, Jill, you can also move your house closer to mine if you'd like to. Um, but anyways, well, that's, I mean, it's good to know that that's an option because packing is the worst. I, right. Imagine if you could just move without doing any of the packing. Anything. Uh, Leave so my toys. Minnie's toys can just stay on the ground That's where right. they are. It'll be great. All right. Well, thanks for answering that. Yeah. Theodore, I hope we answered your question. Um, so if you love your house that you currently live in, but you don't love where you live, move it. Move it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jill, do you have a fact of the day for us? I sure do have a fact of the day. And this one is a... Uh, kind of an older book. I've been picking newer books, but this one's a little older. It's called Weird But True Facts About Weather, and it has some really interesting clip art photos on the cover here. But it has very exciting weather facts. And today's weather fact is about tornadoes. And I, I think this is so exciting. 
Probably also terrifying. Well, tornadoes scare me. Sure, they are a little scary, but this is an interesting fact about tornadoes, not a deadly one. Tornadoes are the ultimate pickle transporter. In 1917, a Connecticut tornado picked up a jar of pickles, and the pickles were found in a ditch 25 miles away, and the jar was unbroken. Wow, that that is a tornado fact. That is a tornado fact. And tornadoes, if you've watched The Wizard of Oz, um, they they can move your house. They can move your house, probably for a little bit less than than what a company might. Yeah, I I think your stuff inside isn't as nice. True, true. You would still have to pack, I imagine. Yeah, it did leave a lot behind, like her whole family (laughs) was not... Was not in the house, and it did land on a witch. Yeah, so, yeah, there was a casualty in that. There one. was a casualty. Yeah, in that, so it's not and quite it a actually safe. transported to another world. So right, so that's a risk too. It is a um, risk, but you know, it was a magical world. A little scary, a lot scary actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was very scared of the flying monkeys when I was a kid, and probably now still. Um, but anyways. We have more questions to answer. Let's ask another question. What's our next question? Well, our next question is from the Miss Jackie. And the question is, what happens when a tick is full? Do they disconnect from the animal or stay connected for unlimited meals? This Uh, is a great question. This is not my question, but I need to just jump right in and say this is a great question. I have so many tick concerns and feelings that i'm excited to find out the answer i feel like as a dog owner like you automatically or just pets if you have like outdoor pets um you're automatically concerned about ticks um like my mom is always on me if my grass gets too long she's like oh you gotta cut that because ticks but thank you miss jackie she is a huge supporter of the pod and a very 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 dear friend of mine and i appreciate her um, listening to the podcast and submitting her questions because Miss Jackie has had some um, really great questions. So with that being said, I'm going to attempt to answer it. Um, thanks, Jill, for doing the research on this question. So a tick is an anthropod, um, which means that they're related to spiders and they have eight legs. But unlike spiders, they do not catch their food in a web, as we know. Um, ticks are parasites, which means that they feed off of a host in order to live and thrive. Um, I thought this was interesting. Ticks don't have to eat every day like we do. I mean, theoretically, we we could go days without food as well, but our stomachs would be very upset with us. Um, But some ticks can survive quite a long amount of time without eating. Um, Their life cycle has three stages. First, they are a larva, then a nymph, and then finally they... um, Turn into an adult tick. Um, and Miss Jackie's question is what happens when a tick is full? Do they eat unlimited meals or do they fall off? Um, and the answer is no. They do not eat unlimited meals. Um, are you ready for this answer, Emily? I am so ready. Ticks only eat three meals in their entire life. Three meals. That's it. Wow. But... But then are they just like hanging out on their host? Well, let me tell you what else happens. Okay. Um, so after the larva hatches from the egg, they hang out in the grass and they wait for a host, which is how they get their food. The larvae are teeny, teeny, tiny, and they actually only have six legs, not the full eight. And they would be difficult to see for human eyes, um, and they are not very likely to choose a human host. 
Um, after the larva finds a host, they eat the blood meal until they are full or engorged. So they have expanded in size. Um, we're going to put some photos in the show notes. So check those out on our Podbean website um, because it's pretty wild with just how big these things can get. Um, so once they're full, they just let go. They fall off their host. They hang back out in the grass, just chilling, relaxing. Um, and eventually they molt and they become the nymph, which is the second stage. Um, the nymphs are the ones that humans have to look out for the most because they will grab onto a human host. Um, they are also the most numerous stage of ticks in nature. So depending on the type of tick, um, there are lots of varieties, but we don't have the time to go into all of that. Um, nymphs can just hang on the grass for quite some time, even up to two years. Two years just chilling in your grass. I am, I don't like this. No, I don't like this, this either. All. And now I'm always going to get my like yard sprayed for ticks. Right. Because also, that's like, terrifying. We could have been bitten by the not this stage, but the stage of tick before, and they could have like eaten. Well, said that had the blood meal and then just fallen off. Well, said that one doesn't really look for human hosts. I think they're too small, maybe to okay. like attach to humans. <clears throat> um, but anywho, eventually though the nymph does find a host, so they're apparently very picky, I guess. Um, They eat their blood meal, they get engorged, and they're very, very, very strange looking, and then they drop off and they hang out in the grass again. Um, The nymph will molt into the adult tick and then, of course, find a new host for that third and final meal, but the adult tick will look for a rather large host, like a deer, sometimes a human, Um, because unlike the other two stages, the adult tick has got to find a partner, they got to mate and lay eggs so there can be more ticks. Because it just that gets is, worse, doesn't it? That, it really does. Because <laughs> that's the whole point of life. I mean, you got to make more of you or else <laughs> right. you're not going to be eat, around. You make more. <laughs> you, you make Absolutely. more. Um, after the adult tick finishes the blood mill, it will mate on the host uh, and then fall off legs and die. <laughs> wait, its <laughs> legs so will fall sad. off and then oh, it will die? Eat and then fall off, lay oh, eggs, lay eggs, oh, and sorry. then die. I <laughs> wow. All it's right, it's not carnivorous. Like the the next question, we'll talk about cannibalism in the next question. Um, and that's the tick life cycle. So they only eat three meals, one meal per life cycle. Um, so Emily, what what do you usually think about when you think about ticks? I think of them as leeches of the yard. I think about them being getting on me and then just staying on me until one day I notice them. I know. Every time I'm like petting my dog, if I feel anything that feels a little abnormal, I like pull out my phone, turn on the flashlight, and I'm like, what did I just Everything's a tick. (laughs) Everything is a tick. Well, most people think about disease when they think about ticks, and we do need to think about disease because ticks can carry disease, these little buggers. Um, when they take a blood meal from their host, they aren't only taking in blood, they're also taking in any disease that that host has. So when they take a blood meal from their next hope, they're putting that disease into the host. And since nymphs do like to grab onto humans and they have already had one meal as tiny larvae, it is possible for nymphs to infect humans or pets with a variety of diseases. This is awful. I'm never going outside again. In the tall grass. Dogs typically have a medication that they take or they wear collars that mm-hmm. kill ticks. Um, it's not something that can work for us because we take too many baths or showers. Um, so the best way to keep yourself safe from tick bites is to check yourself all over for ticks if you've been in tall grass 
or in wooded areas where the ticks like to live and procreate. I also suggest wearing tall socks and long pants to keep yourself safe from ticks because they need to attach to your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can't get to your skin easily, so like tuck your pants into your boots probably. Um, it also sounds like maybe if we showered less during the summer, we might we might be a better chance of I not mean, getting ticks. There might be other problems that you have with that, but good luck with that. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying don't shower. Let's, <laughs> let us want to be clear there. Yeah, we are pro-showering. Um, it takes ticks a little while to start eating their blood meal when they find a host. So if you find a tick just like crawling on you, don't worry. Just get them off of your body. If the tick is attached to you, call your doctor. Because it's ASAP. important to get the head out as well, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. also so you can see if that tick had any diseases. Oh, yeah. um, it's easy to think, why shouldn't we just get rid of all these gross things? Like, ew, gross. But unfortunately, ticks do matter. Whatever. Um, <laughs> first, they aren't primarily a human parasite. Um, they will feast on any mammal. We just sometimes go where they're hanging out in the grasses because we like going on hikes and stuff. Um, also, being a parasite is one of the most common strategies of nature. Hmm. We, of course, consider them a nuisance yeah. and just gross. But nature doesn't consider parasites good or bad. It's just a survival strategy for many different organisms on Earth. Um, one reason why we are seeing more ticks and therefore more tick diseases is because of our effects on nature. It's probably our fault. Most things no, are most things are though. human fault. Yeah, and we're kind of jerks in nature. Um, we kill wolves and other predators because uh, they're scary or because we live on the land that they were once occupying. And because there are less wolves, there are more deer. And because there are more deer, there are more ticks. So this is something that is occurring that we need to start thinking about because ticks carry diseases. And that's not good for us. I will say that guinea fowl, which I've considered getting, um, are known for eating ticks. That's like one of the... The ah. like advantages of having them as well as their eggs. You can eat their eggs as oh, well. Oh, birds. Oh, birds. birds. <laughs> they do some great things. They do. Uh, you know, one thing I found when I was researching that is songbirds actually carry Ooh. tick diseases more than any other. Oh, really? Ah. Yeah, because wow. they're so small and they go on the ground and so the larvae will hop on them. And then they fly, so they spread disease. Oh, wow. Ah, what a great way to transport yeah. yourself, though, is like hopping on a songbird. And yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's cheaper than getting on an airplane. It certainly it is. is. <laughs> and there's other ticks there to hang out with. Yeah, they're all just chilling, <laughs> a having party, a good yeah. time. Tick party. All right. Well, that was fascinating. Miss Jackie, um, I don't think we quelled any of your fears about ticks, but just know that once it's sucked your blood, um, it'll leave. You might have a disease now afterwards, but it will not stay on you for life. Well, Miss Jackie, I got most of that research from two podcasts about tick-borne diseases, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever and Lyme disease. You can find those on this podcast, Will Kill You, and that will hopefully calm your fears about tick diseases because when treated, they're treatable. I can say this one thing about Miss Jackie is um, I always see her in tall socks. So, so she'll be all right. I think oh, you're so good, Miss yeah, Jackie. I think you're already taking the precautions that you need to be taking when you're out in nature um, by wearing tall socks and good closed-toed shoes. You know, you need some thick shoes, too. And she doesn't have a dog, which I've tried many a times to get Miss Jackie to adopt a dog. 
um she has not yet adopted yeah, a dog Jackie, and i've known her for six years so if you're listening let's get let's go in on some guinea fowl together there we go yeah perfect all right <laughs> well that was lots of information um we're going to talk about a book and i'm going to talk about a book that i have currently read and i'm going to grab it from my bag real quick so i know the author's last name and i'm back Okay, so the book that I just finished reading is Cece Rios and the Desert of Souls. I did already talk about this on the What You're Reading that we did in October, but you probably didn't listen to that. Um, You might have. So if you have, sorry, you're hearing about this book twice. Um, But it's by Calia Rivera, and it's a J book, and it's a little spooky because it has some, like, magical, mythical creatures and, I mean, in the beginning, it starts with Cece's sister um, being taken by this evil man spirit as, like, his bride. Um, and so Cece, because what happened was is Cece ran away because they got into a fight, as sisters do. The older sister's just trying to help Cece out, and she's frustrated because her whole village um, has kind of, like, turned her into an outcast. Um, her village, everyone has, like, these... Uh, literal souls of fire but they like appreciate fire and they use the power of fire to fight off these evil spirits and Cece has been cursed with a water soul so it's bad news for this city and so her sister's trying to help her prepare for this festival and she's just like mad and annoyed so she runs off into this abandoned village um, where these creepy (laughs) magical spirit ghost things are and uh yeah one comes takes her sister and so Cece is like well it's my fault and sorry Cece but yeah it was your fault um maybe don't run to the dangerous place maybe just I don't know I don't know run to your grandma's if you have a grandma I don't know um it was just a bad idea and so she decides that she needs to be a bruja because that's the only way she's going to get into this um realm that this evil creature um is staying and trying to think of what his name is um it's the terra del sol which is the town that they live in um and then the um by el sombreron is the dark sirtatura i am saying that so wrong because language is hard and i don't speak spanish and so this is like um latin myths and stuff like that it was really interesting it is part of a series and it's good if you liked like percy jackson um, and those like Greek myths, you might be interested in this book. So sounds yeah. good. Sounds spooky. Yeah, it's spooky. It's not too spooky. Jill could read this. Okay, good. I think you could good. read it. We need to. We should probably clarify at some point our Jill scale. Um, at some point, not right now. Not right now. Oh but. man, <laughs> we even need a I whole think podcast. That you <laughs> should probably watch our. Um, what we're reading. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'll clear some, some yeah. things up. We will so link that in the show notes. Pause this well. podcast. Go back and watch that. <laughs> yeah. Come back. I did a much better job, I think, describing this book in, in that as well because it was fresher in my mind. Um, but yeah, we'll link that in the show notes so you can go and find that on our Facebook page. Well, let's answer our last question. How's that sound? Sounds great. What was it? Okay. Our last question is from Peter, age eight from our Gaines branch. And before I read the question, I just want to encourage you that you also can submit a question, kdl.org forward slash stump, and you can also email us, stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org, and 
we'd love to answer your questions, so send them in. Here is Peter's question. Whale sharks have live births but are not mammals. So what makes a mammal a mammal? This is a great question because it's about sea creatures. And if you've been listening to the pod for a while, you know that I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was a kid. And so all of these questions about ocean life are just like giving me life and letting me pretend like that was the career path I took instead of the one that I'm currently on, which I still love. I love being a librarian. And, and what you can't see, which I can see right now, is her um, notes about what she's going to talk about. And it's a beautiful document of bullet points. It is. Um, and it's, it's the name of this document is still want to be a marine biologist. Yeah, so yeah. whenever we answer your questions, we all create our own documents um, to just keep track of all the information that we find because we're librarians and we like to find our information and we like to keep track of our sources. Um, so you'll find those in the po- in the podcast show notes as well. And we always name them funny things. So mine for this one was still want to be a marine biologist. Um, But Peter, let's answer your question. So a live birth is technically not indicative of a mammal. Um, There is a family of mammals, the monotremes, which include the platypus and the echinads. I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. I even looked up how to say that, but I forgot. Um, And the females of those species, they lay soft-shelled eggs. So they don't have a live birth, Um, but they do all the other things that mammals do, which I'm going to tell you what things an animal needs to have in order to be a mammal and has to have all of these things. So the first thing is that they are vertebrae animals, which means that all mammals have a backbone. Um, So they need that. Also, the mothers all produce milk to feed their young. Um, They have hair or fur, although... You're probably like, yeah, but a dolphin and a whale are mammals and they don't have fur. It is good thought, catch, young, yeah. young listeners. Yeah, good catch. You got me. Um, but it is thought that many whales, um, that the hair disappears except in the fetal stage. So when they're still inside their mama, um, they do have fur. Um, they also have a unique jaw structure. The lower jaw is hinged directly to the skull. And last but not least, all mammals are warm-blooded. So this helps them maintain a consistent body temperature um, despite the conditions of their environment. There are non-mammalian species that do give live births. Do you have any guesses, Emily, besides a whale shark? And not looking at my document, which is... Snakes. (laughs) Got me. So some snakes, so boa constrictors, vipers, and garter snakes. Um... They give live birth. So with a garter snake, and this happens in sharks too, and we'll get into this in a minute, um, the egg lives inside of the mom. So they do lay an egg. It's just in vitro, so it's inside. um, And they're hatched within, so it makes it seem like they're giving live birth, but they're not because they're still hatching from an egg. Um, Skinks, there are some species of skinks that give live births. Um, There are some fish that give live births. They're known as live bearers. Um, hammerhead sharks, whale sharks. Have you ever seen a like a baby garter snake? Um, I don't know. So I so saw cute. one in my yard. I don't know if it was a baby though. Freaked me out. I don't like snakes, and um, I think that's justified from one of our last podcasts where we talked about how many people are murdered by snakes. They're not, they're not murdered. Murdered means that it was premeditated, <laughs> and it was not. They were killed inadvertently, most likely. Um, but sharks kill way less people 
than snakes and, and hippos. Hippos, man. And mosquitoes. <laughs> mosquitoes kill Especially a lot of people. mosquitoes, yeah. Um, anyways, but so whale sharks, um, they actually do produce eggs, but they don't lay them. Um, so when people think of eggs, they, I feel like the thing that comes to mind, at least for me, is birds and laying their eggs and then frogs for some reason. <laughs> I just like think of like tadpoles and turtles because they also lay eggs are like the three top things that I think of. And they all lay eggs. They protect them, whether birds obviously sit on them, um, turtles, they bury the eggs. I think frogs just let them chill out in the water and just yeah. hope that no one eats them. And, um, and they have a lot of them, frogs Yes, too, frogs so. lay a ton of eggs. So, you know, may the odds be ever in your favor in that one. But the whale sharks do the thing where the female keeps the eggs in their bodies until they hatch, and then they give birth to live young. But there was a paper in 1996 that documented the case of a whale shark that was um, after named Megamama. So this whale shark was harpooned off the coast of Taiwan. So unfortunately, they were killed. And they were found to be carrying a bunch of embryos. How many embryos? You're looking at my document right I now. I just don't like the name Megamama. Megamama. <laughs> um, well, Megamama was carrying 300 embryos, <sighs> and many of those had already hatched from their egg cases, um, and they were ready to be released into the ocean. But let's talk a little bit more about sharks because I love sharks. And of course, when we talk about sharks, we have to sing Baby Shark Doo 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 Doo, Baby Shark Doo 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 Doo. doo, doo. And there are over 500 species of sharks that inhabit the water. And a lot of these do have a live birth, um, while some lay eggs like our other fishy friends that we talked about. Um, the ones that lay eggs have, like, the most bizarre-looking eggs. Because when you think of an egg, you think of this perfectly round, oval-shaped thing most of the time. Incorrect Smooth. for sharks. Yeah. yeah. One type is the mermaid's purse. And it does look like a purse. It has like a little hole towards the top that kind of looks like the where you would, you know, put your arm through to carry it on your um, elbow. That one's called the mermaid's or devil's purse. Um, these egg sacs have tendrils that help hold them on to structures that are on the seafloor to keep them from, you know, being washed away by Kind, kind of if like you had a purse that had fringe on it. Yeah. 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 It's got like a little little something extra. Um but Jill's shaking her head that she doesn't think they look like purses. Is that what you're or shaking she your head? Or she might not like fringe, I'm not sure. The word fringe. <laughs> you not like fringe purses? It would be cool if you were a marine biologist and you had a purse that looked like I bet they do. Oh yeah. Man, that'd, that'd be, be cool. That'd be really cool. Um bullhead sharks produce these weird looking like spiral eggs. They're very bizarre looking. Um, and again, whale sharks, they're the largest species of sharks swimming the oceans. Um, and yeah, so they hatch them inside of them, which is known as aviviviparty. There's a lot of vowels in that, so I probably said it wrong. Um, and then there's the viviparis, and those are the ones that actually give like the actual live birth. Um, and there's placental, which is where they have the true connection between the maternal embryotic tissue and then the aplacental. Um which rely on that yolk sac for their nutrition. Um, another interesting fact, sharks have very weird and varied, like, pregnancies. Um, and sometimes um, in these ones where, like, the shark is hatched within the mom, they'll, like, eat 
their siblings. So again, like I said, we would talk about cannibalism later. But yeah, they're they're uh, they're In, very interesting. Like inside thing. the the mom shark, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine being that mom shark? I'm sure, they have no idea. I'm sure they've got to feel like a commotion. Or they're on. like rooting. I don't know. Wow, sharks are interesting, majestic creatures. They are. They're very interesting, and not as deadly as some, like mosquitoes. That's right. That's yeah, right. and ticks. Ticks are carrying like scary diseases, which is something that we learned today. So we learned a lot of great things today on the podcast. Yeah. Do you have a favorite one that you learned today, Courtney? Um, I mean, the stuff about ticks, not my favorite, Mm -hmm. but like probably the most useful out of all the things we learned today. Um, I will be wearing, when we go on walks, Emily, I will not be wearing open-toed shoes or short socks. I will be wearing long socks. That's right. Closed-toed shoes. Yeah. It gave me, I would say also the tick information. I obviously have a real concern about ticks. I did like that you said that they're picky. That made me feel good in some way that they are picky when choosing a host. Well, the adult Um, ones are because they want one that has another tick on it because they want to eat and procreate at right, the same right. time. It and I feel like good. I feel less likely that I'll have two ticks on me. So, like, that makes me feel pretty good. Yeah, I don't um, know. Or maybe worse. I'm actually, I've not figured out that feeling yet, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird something. feeling. It is something. We're going to need to process <laughs> this. Jill, what did you learn today? Um, you know, I also just have to say that I was so fascinated to research all that tick information and I learned so much more than what I was able to put into that answer. It tends to happen when we're answering questions mm-hmm. is we all learn a lot more than what makes it into the podcast. We do. We do. Um, Which is why we try to give you our sources so you can go further yeah, than what we do learn, here. Right? Um, but yeah, I, I don't like ticks, but I do feel reassured that they're not just going to be like diving right in. Like I've got a chance to check myself over after right. I get yeah. in. Yeah, absolutely. That was reassuring that it's yeah. like it's not going to like get on you and then. And then that's it. Yeah. And then they're on you forever. Yeah. That was another thing that like they aren't going to be on you infinitely. And if they aren't carrying a disease, then it, maybe it's okay. They just take a little bit of your kinda, blood. Yeah, but it's kind of gross. I feel like they're pretty likely to have it of some kind. Well, that was fun and highly informative and wonderful. Um, as always, you can visit kdl.org forward slash stump for more information and to submit a question um, for your chance for us to read on the air here. Uh, tune in next time where we answer more of your questions. As always, we want to thank J.D. Delinsky for our intro music. The KDL Amy Van Andel Library and Community Center in Ada for their podcast room and the KDL Marketing Department. Yeah, and shout out to uh, Peter, Theodore, and Miss Jackie for those great questions. We appreciate that. Don't forget to submit your questions, like we said, at kdl.org forward slash stump, or you can email them directly to us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. We'll see you in the next podcast. Bye. Bye.